They do a wonderful job. So thankful to be a part of that group of people. Um, well, I, I'm honored today to have the opportunity to share God's word with you. Again, if we've not met, I am Jason. I'm the worship pastor here. And normally I would be the one holding your guitar, but we, we're switching things up today. And so uh, I want to share with you this morning, we're going to continue in our series, Family Vacation, this week, as we've been looking at passages in the book of Proverbs this summer. And so if you have your Bible, Go ahead and turn to Proverbs 27. Proverbs 27 is where we will be today, and, and we're going to get there in just a minute. Um, but I want to ask you a question first. Have, have you guys been enjoying this series through the, through the Proverbs? Show of hands, yes? Okay, part of you have. Oh, part of you. Well, if you haven't enjoyed it, too bad. We're going to continue going. And, and um, it, it, Proverbs is, as a, as a preacher, Proverbs is, is a challenging book in, in a really good way, challenging in a good way. But it's challenging because there's lots of times where you have this collection of sayings that don't really seem to interact with each other. It's just a verse at a time, and it's all these great sayings, but they don't really seem to, to coalesce. And today, uh, you could look at this passage we're going to look at and go, well, those don't really seem to go together. But I think that we're going to see today that there's a, there's a theme that runs through these verses that we're going to look at in Proverbs 27. But what I want us to do is I want us all to ask ourselves a question today. And that question is this, what are you filled with? What are you filled with? What, what is it inside of you that makes you different from the world around you? What are you filled with? That's what I want us to ask today. And let me, um, let me share a story with you, which I think will help to illustrate what I'm talking about here. So um, about 13 years ago, Kim and I had the opportunity to go spend a weekend in Pigeon Forge. And it was, it was nice. It was, uh, that, that was actually the last time that we were in Pigeon Forge. We need to go back. But um, Kim was pregnant with Sophie, and it was kind of that, like, last getaway before the baby comes, you know, the calm before the storm, so to speak, right, that uh, of just having a great time. We, it was a fun weekend, and um, in Pigeon Forge, there's a restaurant called Corky's Barbecue. You guys familiar with Corky's Barbecue? Some of you? Okay, so Corky's Barbecue is great, um, very tasty, um, especially their, their specialty is ribs. If you like, like, Memphis-style dry rub ribs, that's kind of their specialty, and, and um, it just so happened that one of the nights that we were there, um, they were serving all-you-can-eat ribs for $9.99. It's a great deal. Like, how can you pass that up? All-you-can-eat ribs for 10 bucks? I mean, we got to go, right? So it was a good deal. Couldn't pass it up, and we didn't pass it up. Um, and we went, and I had all I could eat, and it was delicious, and I enjoyed it. And my, my mistake came in that I had all I could eat, but I didn't stop there. Okay, um, I had all I could eat and a little bit more, and um, it didn't end well. I'll, I'll spare you the details, um, but, but it did not end well. Uh, in fact, for a long time, even the thought of ribs made me sick to my stomach. Um, you know, thankfully, praise God, I am rehabilitated, and I can enjoy <laughs> ribs again, um, but... Uh, there, was a, there was a period of time in my life where just the thought or smell of ribs made me very sick to my stomach. Um, it, but it was, it was frustrating because I couldn't eat something that I love, right? I, I like to eat ribs. And you may have that thing that you like to eat, but I couldn't eat them. Well, today, what I want us to talk about is how what we are filled with spiritually has a profound impact on the way that we live. 
And if we are filled with something to the brim that we are not supposed to be filled with, it's going to make other things not appetizing to us. Does that make sense? It's going to make things not appetizing to us. So I want you to stick with me because at the end today, I'm going to give you something that you can take with you this afternoon to begin to fill yourself with what you need to be filled with. Stick with me for that today. But let's look at Proverbs 27. We're going to read verses 1 through 7 where it says this. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. Let another praise you, and not your own mouth, a stranger, and not your own lips. A stone is heavy, and sand is weighty, but a fool's provocation is heavier than both. Wrath is cruel, anger is overwhelming, but who can stand before jealousy? Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. One who is full loathes honey, but to the one who is hungry, everything bitter is sweet. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. That's right. We're going to get that one day, I promise. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There we go. Let me pray for us uh, as, as we've read God's word. Lord, thank you so much for today. Thank you for the opportunity to open your word. Thank you that we have copies of your word in our language that we can understand. God, what an incredible blessing. Thank you that we can dig into it and study it. And Father, I pray you'd make it leap off the page to us today. Draw us closer to yourself. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want us, these seven verses, I want to break them down into three sections today, okay? We're going to look at verses 1 and 2 together. Then we're going to look at verses 3 through 6 together. And then finally, we'll look at verse 7. And in each of these sections, I want us to see what our lives should be filled with and how that filling will impact our behavior and the way that we live in the world. So the first thing that we see here in verses 1 and 2 is that our lives should be marked by humility. Our lives should be marked by humility. Look at what it says again. It says, do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. Let another praise you, and not your own mouth, a stranger, and not your own lips. So, quick show of hands, who here knows exactly how every second of tomorrow is going to play out? Anyone? Was that, did I see your hand, Roger? Do you know? You do not, okay. Yeah, so none of us have any clue what the next few seconds are going to hold, much less what tomorrow is going to hold. We don't know. We do not have clairvoyant thought to be able to see what's going to happen in the future. And yet, we often live, and I, I group myself into this, but we often live as if we have it all figured out. Do we not? We live like, I know exactly what's going to happen. I'm planning this. Mark it in stone. In fact, you can chisel it because it's not going to change. I know exactly what's going to happen, right? We act that way sometimes. Many of us like to think that we have our whole lives planned out to the tiniest degree. But the truth is that we are actually woefully blind to what's actually going to take place in the future. We just don't know. And these two verses here, verses 1 and 2 of Proverbs 27, actually start with the same verb root in Hebrew. It's the root word of boasting. So it says, do not boast, in, in, our, in most of our English translations there in verse 1. And then in two, uh, verse 2, it says, let another praise you. So basically, don't boast about yourself. It's the same root word there. And that in, in these verses, we're told not to boast about our prospects for the future, but also not to boast 
in ourselves. And the painting that the picture, or the picture that the writer is trying to paint for us is one that draws this contrast between arrogance on one side and humility on the other. Arrogance versus humility. We should never live in a way that's too certain of the future. We should never live in a way that's too certain of our own abilities. That often we like to think, yeah, I know exactly what's going to happen tomorrow, and I'm going to do this, and if it doesn't happen, I'm going to be upset about it, right? We live that way. Or we think, I know I can do this, so I'm going to go do it. And I think that many of us in here would understand as you get older, the things you think you can do are not the things that actually line up with what you can do, right? This is a safe place, everybody. We can agree that you can't jump as high or run as fast as you used to could, right? It's just how, it's how life works. Well, James actually has something to say about this for us. Just listen. You don't have to turn there, but listen to what James chapter 4, verses 13 through 16 says. He says, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. So James is reminding us that the sovereignty of God negates any arrogance or presumption that we might have in our lives. God is the only one who sees the whole picture. God is the only one who has the perfect perspective to know what's going to happen tomorrow. Because from his perspective, it's already happened. He's there at the beginning and he's there at the end at the same time. And so he's the only one that we can trust in. And yet, if we live in arrogance, every decision that we make is based on our own understanding. And what James and what the writer of the Proverbs here is trying to teach us is that every decision we make should be based on submission to God's will. Submit to God's will. Follow his leadership and make every decision in your life that way. Now, I'm not saying, and the text is not saying, that you should never plan or prepare for tomorrow. We have to prepare. We can't just get up every day and fly by the seat of our pants and hope that everything works out, right? You have to prepare for things. What this text is saying, though, is that we cannot presume on tomorrow. That's a different thing altogether. When we live our lives in a way that says, um, you know, I, I know that I can do this tomorrow. I don't have to do that today. I have tomorrow. I can wait until then, or I can wait until next week, right? Again, this is audience participation here because I want to make sure that you're staying awake. But show of hands, this is a safe place, remember, okay? How many of us have put off something that really needs to be done at a certain time? Every single hand in here should be up because we've all done that, right? Or, or how many of us have waited to take care of something that really needs our attention right now? We've all done that. Yeah, we've all done that. And so that type of presumption that we will definitely have more time is what the writer of the proverb is saying here, is that we cannot presume on tomorrow. That type of arrogance of thinking that we have all the time in the world can be very costly. It can be very costly. If we put off the task of being in a right relationship with our Creator today till tomorrow, we may not have another chance to get it right. And I don't mean to scare you, and I don't mean to, to coerce you into something, but if God is calling you to himself, answer the call. Don't say, yeah, God, let me, let me go finish this real quick, and then I'll come back and do that. 
Let's answer God's call now while we have the chance. So our lives, number one, are to be filled with humility. We should live in such a manner that shows we understand the sovereignty of our great God. And we trust in Him now. We trust in Him for tomorrow. We trust in Him for 10 years in the future. But we trust in Him and we fall into submission to His will in humility. First thing our lives should be filled with is humility. The second thing we see here in this passage is that we should use our words. Our words should be used to build up. Our words should be used to build up. Look again at what it says in verses 3 through 6. A stone is heavy and sand is weighty, but a fool's provocation is heavier than both. Wrath is cruel, anger is overwhelming, but who can stand before jealousy? Better is open rebuke than hidden love, and faithful are the wounds of a friend, but profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Now, again, we have sort of this parallel thing that, that, like we had that same parallel verb in verses 1 and 2. We have a parallel thing that's happening here in verses 3 and 4 and 5 and 6. Let me explain that to you. So, verses 3 and 4 parallel each other in their structure. So, you, we're given two items for a comparison. So, you have a stone and sand or wrath and anger. So, you kind of compare those two to each other. And then they're followed by this single lesson that is worse than the previous two items. Okay? In verse it's a fool's provocation. And in verse 4, it's jealousy. Now, we also have um, these ideas that um, are kind of vague. Like, what is a fool's provocation? What, what is jealousy in actuality? Well, I, I think a fool's provocation, while, it, while it's very vague, um, it could be someone's obnoxious behavior, right? Fool's going to act obnoxious. I think we all understand that. Or maybe it's the incompetence of a coworker. I don't know where, where, where you're at. I mean, I don't deal with that too often here, but, I mean, it's, it's one of those things that comes up. And so, it's a joke, people. It's a joke, okay? Gosh. Now, but it could be one of those things that it's just obnoxious behavior, it's incompetence, it's whatever. You could fill in that blank. But that's, it, it's irritating to have to deal with. And then jealousy is presented really kind of as anger, that will not yield to reason. Think of a, a raging bull, right? A bullfighter, when he's in the ring with a bull, he doesn't say, hey, hold on, let's talk about this for a second, right? That bull's not going to listen to that. And when you have someone who is filled with jealousy and anger that will not yield to reason, it's the same kind of idea. You're not going to be able to just stand in front of it and say, hey, let's stop and talk about this for a second. So we have these, these, these two ideas of how things that are difficult to deal with and they're, they're hard to understand. But I think we'll understand a little better when we get through verses 5 and 6. So both of these verses, 5 and 6, deal with the nature of genuine friendship. So in verse 5 specifically, we see the need for open and honest communication among people. And there, there are few things, I think you guys would agree with me, there are few things in life that are more annoying than being ignored. Right? Just whether that's in... Uh, your marriage, whether that's at work, whether that's w whatever setting, it, it's annoying to be ignored, right? When, when you feel like you have something to contribute, but, but nobody will listen. It, maybe, maybe that's why the silent treatment is so effective, right? But also so infuriating at the same time. That I want this to end now because I want you to listen to me, but I also want this to end now because I don't like it, right? That's why the silent treatment is so effective sometimes. And verse 6 is kind of the inverse 
of what verse 5 says, that whereas verse 5 is talking about sort of stifled or hidden emotions, verse 6 talks about these needs of genuine expressions of love and friendship. So, when you take all these things together, whether it's a fool's provocation or jealousy, those things can be counteracted by open and honest communication and the ability to express genuinely our love. And it talks about there, um, specifically in verse 6, it says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Now, hopefully, you have uh, a relationship in your life where you can have people who can be completely honest with you. Um, You know, I'm thankful that I have Kim in my life, that, you know, she's open and honest with me to say, hey, that sounded dumb, or hey, that doesn't look good. And while that doesn't feel good in the moment, that's a wound, it's a wound that I needed to hear. And I'd rather hear it from my wife than from somebody just walking on the street of like, hey, you know that sermon you preached on Sunday? That was stupid. I didn't like it at all. You know, you don't want to hear that. But when you hear it from somebody that you know loves you as constructive criticism, it means a lot more. It reminds me a lot of, of something that's, that's said in Hosea chapter 6. Listen, listen to these verses. Hosea says, Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us down that he may heal us. He has struck us down and he will bind us up. After two days he will revive us and on the third day he will raise us up that we may live before him. Let us know him. Let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is as sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. And in these verses, you, you hear the kindness of the Lord, that he's willing to say, what you're doing is wrong. I'm going to tear you down enough that I can build you back up stronger. The, the Lord knows how to use his words to build us up. There, there's countless instances in Scripture where the word of the Lord builds people up, and we should follow those examples in our relationships as well with other people. That not that we're all about, ooh, here's a great opportunity for me to tear this person down, but I'm going to build them up, right? We're not going to use it like that. But when we see an opportunity to constructively, genuinely express love to other people, we should follow that example. So our lives should be filled with encouragement, that our mouths, our words should be used to build up. And in all of our relationships, we should be open and honest with each other. We should seek to encourage one another and build one another up. This is echoed in several passages throughout the New Testament where we have these one another statements. You guys are familiar with those one another statements of like honor one another, love one another, those things in the New Testament? This is yes, right? You guys know? Okay, yes. So, just a couple examples. Um, 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. That we are to encourage each other. We are to use our words to build one another up. Romans 12.9 and 10 says, Let our love be genuine for each other. Abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. And here's the kicker. Outdo one another in showing honor. Let us build each other up. How about this one? We, we use this at our house a lot. I'm going to sing it to you like we say it at our house. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Anna Grace could join in with me. As God in Christ forgave you, that's what you've got to do. Ephesians 4.32. Right? We use that at our house. Be kind to one another, 
tender-hearted, forgive each other, build each other up. Let's encourage one another. So not only are our lives to be filled with humility, but our lives are also to be filled with encouragement. And the final thing that we see in this passage is found in verse 7. Look at what it says. One who is full loathes honey, but to one who is hungry, everything bitter is sweet. Our hearts should be hungry for God. That's the third thing that we see. Our hearts should be hungry for God. So it says there, the one who is full loathes honey. Now, think back to my story just a few minutes ago, right? Ribs are good, but because I had filled myself with so much of them, I loathed the goodness of ribs, right? Didn't want it anymore. Made me sick. Didn't like it. And there's a direct parallel to our spiritual lives. In our life, in this world, there are lots of really good things that God has given us that we get to enjoy. Lots of great things. But if we fill our lives with good things and leave no room for Christ, then we will loathe His goodness. Here's what I mean. There's nothing wrong with sports. There's nothing wrong with music. There's nothing wrong with relationships or travel or good food or exercise or fill in the blank. There's nothing wrong with those things. But if we completely fill our lives up with those things, then there's no room for Christ in our life. And when we take good things that God allows us to enjoy and we place them in a spot in our heart that was only meant to be filled with Christ, we're going to have a problem when it comes to be being filled with Christ, right? We filled our lives up with things that are good, but they're put in the wrong place in our lives. We've become hungry for things that God gives us and not hungry for God himself. Now, the opposite is true as well. If we leave the spot in our hearts that's to be filled by God empty, then we become spiritually malnourished, and we long to fill that spot with anything that comes along. And when that happens, even those things which are actually bitter seem sweet to us. Think about the person who's been out um, maybe they were backpacking and they got lost, right? And so they've been out there for days and you get hungry. Their supplies ran out and anything that's bitter seems sweet. I'll put anything in my mouth that I can eat because I'm starving, right? What happens for us spiritually as well, that when we find ourselves in the position of being spiritually malnourished, it's a very dangerous place to be. That we'll be tempted to fill our lives with ideas that are not true, and we fall victim to whatever wind blows through that sounds even remotely close to being true. And this is how crazy thoughts like the prosperity gospel of that Jesus just wants you to have money and be happy. The problem with that line of thought is the Bible. The Bible doesn't teach that. <laughs> it's not what the Bible teaches. Or you could think of any number of, of false teachings that could fill the mind of a believer. So the point is this. We must feast on Christ and His Word so that we are not filling our hearts with false teachings. We have to fill our minds and hearts with God and His Word so that we don't fall victim to false teachings. When we're filling our heart's appetite with Christ, then we will find ourselves full on the Word of the Lord. and We're able to truly taste and see that the Lord is good. So we have to fill ourselves with Christ so that we don't feast, feast on false things. So, how do we respond today? Well, 
You remember earlier I told you that I had something to share with you that you can take with you that's going to impact your life today? You guys remember that, right? It was just a few minutes ago. If you forgot, we, we got problems. Just a few minutes ago, right? Well, uh, here it is. I want you to start today by filling your minds with the Word of God. I've said that a few times. Let's fill our minds with the Word of God. You can start with just one verse. And in fact, I'm going to give you the verse for today. It's going to be up on the screen here. Romans 8, 6 says this. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Let's say it together. Ready? For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Let's say it again. I want, I'll, I'll say the first line. You guys repeat it back. I'll say the second line. You repeat it back. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Let's try it one more time. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. All right, I'm going to test you. Take, take it off the screen, Anna Grace. Okay, ready? Let's say it together. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. This is where we start. We set our minds on God and we find life and peace. We live a life of humility. We use our words to build each other up and encourage each other and we fill our hearts with the word of God so that we are filled with Christ. And I know that you could look at this and say, yeah, I mean, I'm just so busy. We just took 90 seconds and filled our minds and our hearts with the Word of God. Did we not? Let's say it again. Ready? For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. This is what we fill our hearts with. This is what we should be filled with so that we can impact the world for the sake of the gospel. It starts today. It's a simple commitment, one verse. I want you to say it again this afternoon when you get home. After you take your afternoon nap, I want you to wake up and set your mind on the Spirit, right? We fill our hearts and our minds with the Spirit of God, and we find life and peace. We're going to pray together here in just a moment, and uh, I would love for you to have the opportunity to commit to that. And there's nothing magical that happens here on these steps. Nothing magical. But there is something special about physically making a commitment. About as simple as going from right there to right here. It can connect something in our hearts with our minds of I'm committing to fill my heart with Christ. I'm committing to fill my mind with the Word of God. And so I would invite you, come to these stairs here. Come to this altar here. Let's commit today. What, imagine what could happen. <laughs> imagine what could happen in this town if just the people in this room committed to filling our hearts and our minds 
with the word of God. We could radically change what's happening in this town, right? For the sake of the gospel. And it starts as simply as removing our minds from the flesh and setting our minds on the spirit of God. So I'd encourage you to do that today. Let's stand together. I'm gonna pray for us. And then as we respond in song, I would encourage you, come. Commit to fill your mind with Christ today. Let's pray. Father, you are good. We bow before your sovereignty today, God, recognizing that you are the creator of all things, recognizing that you are the one who plans out our days. And we trust in that today, God. God, we thank you for our brothers and sisters that we can use our words and encourage one another and point each other back toward you. And Father, I pray today that we would be committed to filling our hearts and our minds with you and with your word. Lord, I pray you do a miraculous thing today. Spirit, move in this room. Stir in our hearts a desire to want to commit our lives more deeply to you. We love you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name.